Beautiful Warriors, episode 47. Somebody who gets shit done. It's all down to hustle. A sacrifice of their being and way of life. We think of 300, we think of the Spartan. Sort of the courage and conviction to face their challenges in life. It always does the right thing at all costs. Let's welcome Kamal S. Kelsey. To be a warrior means to, to stand up for what you believe in, stand up for others. What's going on, Warriors? Timothy Lawson here, host of Fuel for Warriors, a podcast collaboration between Lost Entertainment and Lock and Load Java. Each and every week, we bring on a new guest to talk about what it means to be a warrior, what challenges they face, and what ultimately inspires them. This week's episode brings us Kamal S. Kelsey, who is an officer in the United States Army and is the first Sikh in over a generation to receive religious accommodations to include, to include a turban and uh, regulations on his beard. We're going to talk to Kamal about, his, uh, about that experience, how he was able to get these accommodations granted, and we're going to learn a lot about what it means to be a Sikh or be Sikh. I, think, I can't remember which one, uh, which one of those actually applied. Uh, but we learn pronunciation, a little bit of history on the religion, how how the accommodations work, etc. So uh, this is very educational, if anything. Uh, so I'll let Carl Churchill, founder of Lock and Load Java, say a few words, and then we'll get to my interview with Kamal. Enjoy. Hey, Warriors. This is Carl Churchill, co-founder and chief coffee officer of Lock and Load Java. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our friend and fellow veteran Tim Lawson as he interviews risk-takers who've embraced the warrior ethos. I know you'll love our guest today, and when you're finished with the episode, head over to LockAndLoadJava.com and use the coupon code FUELFORWARRIORS to receive a 10% discount on our premium coffee and cocoa. Stay motivated, my friends, and keep challenging yourself. All right, Warriors, let's welcome to the show Kamal S. Kelsey. Sir, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we, we begin every episode with, the, with the, uh, the idea of what it means to be a warrior. That's how we kick things off. So, Kamal, tell me to you, what does it mean to be a warrior? To me, uh, to be a warrior means to, to stand up for what you believe in. Stand up for others, people, uh, to help defend those that are defenseless, and uh, and and to you know represent your 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 nation and your warrior ethos. I like that. Uh, and what do you? What part of your life? You know, you you uh, you do serve in the army, but is there any other part of your life that you think informs that answer you just gave? You know, I I feel like I'm. Uh, Every day of my life, uh, you know, I have to live up to those those principles and those virtues. You know, when I when I walk out uh, uh, outside my house and uh, you know uh, meet people, and uh, you know I'm wearing my uniform or I'm got my turban on, you know, I I represent something greater than myself. And uh, you know, whether I'm treating patients at a hospital or or taking care of patients on the front lines of war. Um, you know, I think I'm I'm still representing something greater than myself, and, uh, and that means a lot to me. 
Yeah, and you are um, you are an ER doctor, is that correct? Yep, on a good day. On a, on a good day. Uh, do you, how, how long have you been in the Army? So I joined in 2001, about uh, eight months before 9-11. Huh? Oh, man. Uh, I'm sure you've gotten this question before, but I'm going to have to ask it. Yeah. Did... Did, it, did your fellow service members look at you any differently? No. You know, I, you know, the boots on the ground uh, really never had any issue with my turban or beard. I, uh, you know, I've been with the military now for 15 years, and uh, not once has anybody ever said, hey, uh, you know, I, I've, been, I've been shot or I've been blown up. Uh, you know, don't, don't take care of me because you got a turban and beard. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, nobody nobody cares as long as you can do your job. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you are the first Sikh-granted DOD religious accommodation in over a generation. Um, you, you joined in 2001. When did you receive those accommodations? I got my accommodation in 2009 after a, a, a long, long line of paperwork going up the chain of command, uh, process that took me well over a year and a half uh you know i had to be uh it, it took a whole community community's efforts you know the, the sick coalition is a non-profit uh that that helped with all the paperwork and then one of the nation's largest law firms mcdermott will and emory also helped with uh with that same paperwork process uh, it took 50 congressional signatures on a letter to secretary of defense it took well over 15,000 petitioners to again uh, then uh, Secretary of Defense Gates to, to to get just one guy in. Wow, I'll, that's a, I mean, that's a lot of work for a beard. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so I'm sure that members of my audience are just as um, unaware as I am, and excuse my ignorance, but I'm going to have to. I have plenty of questions for you. Uh, I'm going to use this as a as a learning platform. Um, you know what what was all included in your Sikh accommodations? So my accommodation uh, included uh, me my ability to wear the turban and uh, keep my beard uh, again in a neat and conservative manner uh, while in uniform. And so you know this was this was after a lot of uh, uh, testing and, uh, you know, the military wanted to make sure that, uh, I could wear the helmet properly, which, you know, with my sort of, uh, small bandana like turban, I can easily accommodate both the helmet and the gas mask. And they didn't just take my word for it. They put me through, uh, the gas mask test several times. Uh, they made sure that I could get a good seal. Um, and, uh, so, uh, that's essentially it. You know, we, we came up with uh, essentially a field manual for uh, the different types of turbans, for the different types of uniforms, uh, very similar, in fact, to what uh, what other countries uh, whose armed forces uh, accommodate Sikhs uh, uh, do today. In fact, uh, uh, it was sort of modeled after Canada's uh, field manual for Sikhs. Uh, currently, you know, in, in countries like Canada, Great Britain, India, uh, many others, uh, Sikhs don't 
need an accommodation, they can just walk into the recruiter's office and join. Yeah. Now, when um, – so would I say that you are Seek or you are a Seek? Uh, or do both of those apply? You know, both of those apply. Okay. To, to be a to be a sick. Um, it's sick. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. You should have you should have correct. You need to correct me here. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, the the anglicized pronunciation um, exists so that uh, people don't um, confuse the word sick with you know uh, uh, illness. Right. Okay. So. So what is what is the history of the beard? Why is that so such a significant in your religion? The beard so the whole identity thing in in the Sikh religion uh goes back to to our founders uh and our prophets. So Sikhism came about in what's India today uh from a period of uh 300 to 500 years ago. And during that time, we sort of became, uh, we became militarized and we became marshaled out of necessity because we, we lived in a geographic area that is essentially what's sort of known as the gateway to India. Uh, and we lived during a time when, uh, the, the Mughal Empire was doing forced conversion of, of all the other minorities in the region. So they were forcefully converting Hindus and Buddhists and, and Sikhs. So we, uh, we resisted that. And our, uh, you know, our, our prophets told us not to just stand up for ourselves, but to stand up for other people. And as a part of that resistance, we, uh, we, we donned the turbans, uh, because at the time, uh, the Mughal Empire said uh, only their only their their high level soldiers and their royalty would wear turbans. So uh, we said we will wear turbans, and our, um, our our prophets wanted to give us an identity, something that couldn't be uh, that we couldn't hide from. So we we became sort of the, the fierce warriors of uh, of that region, standing up against injustice. And even though we were hunted nearly to extinction, uh, we vowed never to hide. And so that's why the turban and the unshorn beard sort of became our hallmark. And, and today, even till today, is uh, part of our uniform too. Uh, during that time, the, the greatest disgrace to a, a Sikh, uh, even today, is, is to take off the turban and expose, uh, expose that uh, person's hair. Wow. So how, I mean, how did you cope with that in the first eight years of your service? It, it really wasn't an issue. Uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I did a little, a few weeks of active duty here and there, uh, while I was still, uh, uh, on medical training. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I served in uniform with turban and beard, but, uh, uh, honestly, largely just floated under the radar and, uh, it wasn't until I went uh, was about to go full time active duty that uh, you know I reached out to my chain of command and said, "Look, it hasn't been a problem thus far, you know, uh, but just so you guys know, I, I you know I have a turban and beard." Huh. And they said, "Yeah, yeah, no worries." Um, 
so I got a call about a month later, uh, and they said, actually, we looked into the regs, and uh, there is a problem. And so that's when we began the, the, the request for accommodation. But mind I you, see. mind you, since 2007, uh, the military has granted over 100,000 waivers uh, for beards for lots of different reasons, but mainly medical reasons um, to, to soldiers. And uh, routinely, uh, you know, our Special Forces soldiers and our Navy SEALs uh, have relaxed grooming standards uh, to include beards when they when they deploy overseas. Yeah. So first sick granted DOD religious accommodation in over a generation. Has it been that long because no one's tried or bothered, or has it been that long since we've since one is self-identified in the military? You know, I think it's been that long because, well, in the early 80s, the regs changed. Um, you know, the regs changed, and uh, so at that time, no, uh, it said no turbans, no yarmulkes, uh, and no religious religious apparel, but uh, you know the Jewish lobby was strong, and so they got yarmulkes back. Uh, six we we never really had a lobby, so it, it really was, I think, a function of this the community finally, uh, finally waking up and getting some political power behind, uh, behind this this injustice that occurred in, in the early eighties. Since the early 1900s, six have been serving in the U.S. military. I mean, we we served in World Wars One and Two. We were there in Korea and Vietnam. Uh, in fact, over 80,000 six soldiers uh, from various militaries around the world died serving alongside Allied forces, and none of those folks ever required an accommodation. Wow. Okay. Um, so th- there's. Um, other than uniform, uh, has is there has there been anything else that the military has had to do uh, to accommodate? I mean, I don't know what sort of like religious holidays and practices you have. Is there any other? Were there any other things that needed accommodation, or was it just the presence of your uniform? Well, um, really, that's about it. I, I mean, sick. Part of our uh, articles of faith is a uh, a steel bangle. That we wear on our uh, on our right arm to remind us of uh, our connection to to God and the universe, um, and we all carry uh, either a small dagger or a sword that represents our commitment to social justice and to defend defend the defenseless. Uh, the military never ever, never had any issue with uh, uh, either the uh, the the, uh, the small steel bangle or or the uh, uh, or the small dagger. Um, so we, you know, we, we've shown proof of concept. Uh, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2011. Uh, you know, an esprit de corps, unit cohesion, uh, uniform identity never, never came up as any problems. You know, certainly I was able to, to do my job. Um, so you always walk around with a dagger on you? I, you know, I'll have, uh, some sort of a small dagger on me on uh, on most occasions, yeah. Well, I, I suppose that it gets complicated when you travel. Yeah, yeah. You know, I look. I I, I wear a small 
small sword or, or small representation of a sword around my neck as well. Gotcha. And, you know, I think there are common sense ways to approach uh, a lot of these things. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I check it in when I fly. Not a big deal. Um, you know, it's it. But uh, uh, along the same lines, you know, uh, um, one of my favorite hobbies when I go to the airport is, is getting checked in, checked out by the uh, TSA. Um, you know, those sorts of things need to change. Um, you know, six have not been, uh, six don't have anything to do with, with, uh, terrorist activities. Um, uh, and it's, it's wrong to profile six. It's wrong to profile other communities as well, uh, with regards to this. Yeah, I agree. Is there, uh, this is kind of a broad question, but is there anything, are there any, Details, or is there a story in this uh, this journey that you've had in, in getting these accommodations that is worth telling? So many stories. <laughs> <laughs> so many stories. Uh, I don't know. Pick your favorite, or pick a good one. Well, um, I'd have to say it was uh, early on uh, during during my deployment to uh, uh, Helmand Province in Afghanistan, 2011. Uh, we, we, we landed there and, uh, we got word that there was, a, an IED attack, um, and a number of our soldiers were hurt. So, uh, you know, we rushed to the ER, we started receiving casualties. Um, you know, there, it was a Marine, Marine base, so we, we were taking care of a lot of Marines. And, uh, you know, we, we received one casualty, uh, you know, call him Joe and uh you know Joe had been uh uh hit pretty badly so we 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 stitched up his wounds we cleaned up his wounds and uh you know stabilized him and uh you know we're about to move on to the next patient when he uh sort of grabbed my arm and he said uh you know thank you brother and uh it was very touching because you know that's proof of concept right there that, you know, uh, this guy that I've, I've never met before, you know, he's, he's my brother in arms, um, doesn't, doesn't really give a shit that I have a turban or a beard, um, doesn't care what religion I am, doesn't, doesn't care about the color of my skin, um, uh, or any of that. He, he just cares that, uh, just cares that I took care about it, took care of him. And, uh, so... So, so that that sort of proof of concept, um, you know, we uh, that's who we are as Americans, and I think that speaks uh, speaks volumes to 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 our to our true uniformity, uh, our uniformity of mission, and our uniformity of our ideals. Absolutely, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Yes. Yeah. So to wrap up the the interview. Kamal, the, the the first of the last two questions is, uh, what challenges do you face, either personally or professionally? And I'm sure we've covered a handful of them. Um, but what, what's the challenge that you're facing right now, and what are you doing to better overcome it? You know, uh, we're we're facing the challenge of the existing policy change. You know, so uh, currently, if if my son or my daughter want to go uh, join the military, they have to go through this uh, crazy accommodations process uh, 
and they may not be accommodated uh, at the end of it. So we we're, we're pushing for a policy change that uh, uh, that allow them to serve freely once again, like they did during World Wars One and Two in Korea and Vietnam. Um, and and so we're we we've got a petition on uh, change.org. You could you could just search for Major Kelsey. Um, it's done in conjunction with uh, the Sick Coalition and uh, with uh, Truman. Uh, uh, the Truman National Security Project, uh, who feels strongly that uh, uh, six should be able to serve freely, that diversity is, in fact, a strategic imperative. Um, so we, we're working together to bring awareness to this, and uh, if folks could, please support our petition um, so that we can, uh, you know, move, move forward uh, and, and make, uh, you know, the, make this place a better society. Yeah, absolutely, and I'll I'll uh, I'll link that petition in the show notes to this this episode. Uh, so the final final question is: What ultimately inspires you? What is what is the fuel for your warrior? You know, I'm inspired by the people I meet and uh, the people that I help, uh, the soldiers that I'm in in touch with. Uh, you know, they do such amazing things. Uh, uh, you know, helping each other and, and, and making this nation great, it inspires me to to go on and, and do better things uh, in my life. Fantastic. Kamal, thank you so much for joining me. It was a real pleasure talking to you, and thanks for all of the education. I, I learned so much by just by talking with you. Thanks, Tim. It was a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Be sure to head over to LockAndLoadJava.com using promo code FuelForWarriors for a discount on your purchase. Also head over to LostInEntertainment.com for more of my programming. Stay strong and stay motivated.